Remember, when you read the Old Testament, you can't take it as where we live now. It was a cultural thing that was going on, and it also shares the history of God. It doesn't negate the inspired word of God. I'm not saying that, but I want you to understand that was the Old Covenant. The biggest thing about the Old Testament that you need to make sure that you stay intact is, remember, you can't read it from a scientific standpoint because every... You just can't do that. You've got to read it uh, from a cultural standpoint and from a standpoint that it's showing the history of God. Remember I told you if you've come to know Jesus or you really haven't studied the Bible much, don't go to Genesis. It'll mess you up, all right? You'll see, wow, God was uh, an atheist will look at you, and that's what they argue a lot, that, hey, you know, God was just, he was mean, he was ugly, and he was, he was doing genocide is what he was doing. And they'll talk about, go, well, wait a minute, no, no, no. That was showing the badness of the people, and God was redemptive the whole time. And so if you want to know who Jesus, how to live like Jesus, I always tell you, read First John. But if you want to know the history of where we came from, read Hebrews, and you'll see a lot of Old Testament quotes in there about the prophecies of Jesus coming. And so what I want you to know is when you read that, or if people ever come to you and say, well, what about the Old Testament God? I mean, he can st- yeah, he can still smite if he wants to, but he wouldn't, he's not going to. He can still put us in old covenant law, but he's not going to because the new covenant has come. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all about the seed, and you're going to see that in just a few minutes. So as we look into to Genesis, uh, I'm, going to get, I'm going to go over some things very quickly because of time, but I also want to let you know that today as I was reading, not today, but the last three or four weeks when I was reading, I really want to pull some practical things for all of us out of the Old Testament. What are some things that I see in the life that we can, uh, in the life of Abraham, the life of Isaac, that we can apply to today? So Genesis chapter 25 is where we'll start. Then I'm going to give you some clear points and we'll move on. Now I want you to know, uh, it says this, Abraham took another wife. Okay, that's good. We just pass by little bitty things. We really do. Watch this. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, uh, Medan, Madan, Ishbak, and Sean. Listen, so I want you to know what I want to teach you through this, what we're going to read through is the great, great advice for a life well lived. Because we're going to look at Abraham's life and get some great advice that will help you today. So I'm going to be very, very practical. And today my, my deal is I don't, I'm not a toe stepper. So you walk away going, man, you read my mail or whatever. Just understand that's the Lord speaking to you, not me. But I think there's some practical things. And the first thing we learn just from that first verse is this. Life, life will go on with or without you. Okay, and as a pastor, when I counsel people, I'm, I'm counseling a lot of different things. And sometimes that a grandmother dies, or a mother dies, or a father dies, or even a child, as sad as that is, dies. I want you to know you have to pull yourself up and know that you've got to move forward because life is going to go on without you. Shannon and I have already had the big discussion when we were in our 30s after the kids were born. We made our will. You're going to learn something that we made our wheel very early, and we knew exactly what we were going to do. And, but also, uh, uh, we, uh, we, we also know that uh, what would happen if I died? What happened? We always talk about the men dying. You know, that's what men, men are like, we want to make sure okay. And so, man, when we were in our early 30s, we, we, we've been paying our life insurance policy for years. But then my wife at the kitchen table said, you know what? We've been talking about me, but what happened if I die? And I go, you're not going to die. You see the way I eat. I'm going to die first. And uh, because really the, 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 men die, uh, the, the percentage or the, it's higher than a man will die first. It's really amazing, the statistics. That's because we do dangerous things and we, do, we, we eat good stuff. So anyway, 
So I will die happy, okay? All right? Uh, but if, if, if I die, she said, what about if you die? And I go, well, I'll, I'll be able to take care of them. Really? You're going to quit your job to take care of these little ones? If something? And I went, wow. And so we had those deep conversations talking about that life will go on. My wife even said, listen, I want you to marry. I want you to be happy. And I go, baby, I want you never to marry again. And No, I was kidding. We, we both told each other that. And you go, if you don't have those conversations now, then what happens is me as a pastor, if I start helping people who have died and they made no plan and they didn't move on, it makes it very difficult. I know that some of your sons and daughters have moved on. I know that it's very difficult for you, uh, for parents, one of the highest divorce rates. I tell young couples the divorce rates are very high. One of the highest divorce rates is up there when the kids leave the home, Right? Because some parents have poured so much into their kids, life can't go on. Shannon and I loved our girls, but boy, when they left, it's kind of nice. You know? We didn't have to do all the dishes that they did. You know what I'm saying? It's, just, it's nice. We didn't have to remind anybody to make their bed. We didn't have to get them up in the mornings. It's wonderful. That's right. But Shannon still has to do it for me because I'm a kid. Um, life will go on without you. I want you to understand that. And I even deal with kids that... If their parents, one of their parents passes on, everybody listen to me, because this could happen. Or if they did in the past, and your mom remarried, or your, your dad starts dating somebody, and that's not, you know what I'm saying? It, I always tell the parents, live your life. Don't let your kids stop you. And as kids, you need to understand, life has to go on. And the reason I want you to understand is that Abraham, he married, he remarried. He waited a while. He went through the time of mourning, which is natural for that culture. But I want you to know, life has to go on. All right? Or it's going to go on without you. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. Some of you, you've let life go on without you because there's been a loss. And look what happens. The sons of Midian were Ephra, uh, Ephraim, Hanak, Abed, uh, Eldah. And these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. You see that? She, he went on with life and he had more kids. That was probably um, either somebody that was a servant or a concubine that, that he was married to. We see that. It was kind of natural. And uh, if children want to know what that is, you can tell them. All right, here we go. This is this, uh, this is, but to the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts. I want you to learn something from this. Very basic. He gave gifts while he was still living. While he was still living. And he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. So I want you to know some good advice to live by is make plans to give while you live. No, I'm serious. Make plans to give while you live. Make those plans that your life can go on. I want to give while I live. So my, my children know when we die what we want to happen. My wife knows what, if I die what I want to happen. When you see the funeral or the, the celebration of life of me one day, You'll see what I've asked to do. I don't want my kids to worry about it. All right? We know what's going to happen through the will with the children. We don't want the state involved. You know what I mean? You know how many funerals I do? And it becomes a lot of problem because nobody made a plan. And some people saved all that money for their kids. Watch this. And all it became, I'm telling you, all it became was an issue of fighting who gets what. It's terrible. It's the worst thing as a pastor. One of the worst things that I have to do. I say, okay, 
Let's arbitrate this. And who I blame is the parents. I want you to know, for all of you in this room, you go, well, what's this biblical part of it? It's a biblical thing that, number one, life's going to go on with, with or without you. Why don't you just get past whatever it is? Number two, make plans to give while you live. Why I live. You know what I'm building my house for? We got a house. It's smaller. We downsize. But why am I adding a back porch? Because I want my kids to be able to visit. I want my church to be able to come over there and have a meal for community groups. I want to have fires in the backyard, right? I, I want to enjoy my family. I want to enjoy my friends. I want to give while I'm living, right? And so what I'm saying is what, what he learned was he took his wife, his new wife, and he said, I'm going to send you on. Why did he send them away? Because he says, when I die, I don't want that as a reminder to you. I'm going to send them away. I have taken care of them. Isaac, you are taken care of. You don't have to worry about that. That's not your responsibility. Although Isaac took it as his responsibility more than likely because it was family, and that's what you do. But they were, they were part. I want you to know, give while you live. A lot of people save and save their money, and they never get to enjoy what they give away. Plan for retirement, that's great. But I'm telling you, I love giving. To, my wife goes out. We go out to Target for nothing, and we always come back with something for the girls or Ephraim. And you know what? I always give her a hard time about it, but I love that right now we can give. We've got a bunch of shirts for my my son-in-law, sent it to him in Houston. Give while you live, because when you're dead and you got all that money in a bank and you hadn't made plans for it, I'm telling you, if, if, if God came back, I mean, you know, or if I go and Shannon goes, man, they know. They know what to do with the house. But right now, we're giving as we're living. You understand what I'm saying? This is what he did. He gave, uh, he gave while he was living. Next thing it says, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel of Armin, and Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban of the Armin, and to be his wife. Look. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. I want you to see this very basic thing. This, the Holy Spirit made these people write these things. And it's so important we pass up little things. We said, oh, that's just a prayer verse. No. I mean, it was so important. It says, and Isaac prayed for the Lord for his wife because she was barren. She could not have a child. And what he, what he, what he mirrored was what he saw in his father, that he prayed for Sarah. And he says, uh, I'm going to pray. Lord granted his prayer, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. Look, and the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire to the Lord. Okay? She said, God. So now you see Isaac praying. God, my wife can't get pregnant. I want her to get pregnant. I, I, I know what you told my father. I think you're going to pass it on to me. But I know that you passed it on to me, but, but I, I need to pass that on. And so he prayed for his wife. And then his wife was having a struggle. She had twins inside of her. And she said, what in the world is going on? They're just fighting in there all the time. And I love, she said, she prayed. And the Lord said, I love that the Lord spoke to her. She, he said, oh, Rebecca, bless your heart. Two nations are in your womb. This is not going to be good. I want you to see. What happens? And two peoples from within you shall be divided. They were fighting in the womb, and they will be fighting as they go out. The one shall be stronger than the other. But here's what the Lord told her, which was very odd. 
But this is going to tell you why she was, became deceptive in just a few minutes. And that's this, these words. It says, then one shall be stronger than the other. Then he said this, the older shall serve the younger. So she's praying, and she gets a message from the Lord and says, what? Okay, that means I've got to make that happen. God didn't need her to make that happen, which she did it anyway. But what happens is that was odd because the, the, the oldest, watch this, look, it says the older shall serve the younger. The oldest had the birthright. The oldest gets the blessing. The oldest is next in line. But why did God say that's not the way it's going to be? The older one is going to be serving the younger one. Y'all see that? It was a prediction of what, of what is to come. So I want you to know, make prayer a priority for your family. Now, everybody look at me. I want you to look right at me, please. This is something that we, we look at and we go, oh, I know, I need to pray. I want you to understand the basic thing of praying for your family, of praying for your kids, of praying for the problems in your life. Students, teenagers, grandparents in the room, people without kids, people with kids. Listen, you need to start praying for individuals in your family. If you parent, I taught my teenagers for years when I was a student pastor. You pray for your mom and dad every day. We had a journal book that we made for them that would remind them of things to pray for. And I put things on that you should pray for. I said, I want you to pray for me every Wednesday night. And those little junior high kids and high school kids would pray for me because I put my name on that list. And they said, hey, they'd come up to me. I knew they were looking at the journal every day. And they'd run up and say, Brother Pat, I pray for you this morning. Brother Pat, which told me they did their quiet time. They were hanging on to the, to the Lord. But I always told them, hey, on Mondays, you pray for your parents. That's a hard day for every parent. Got to go to work, got to take care of things, probably got to get shopping done. And they would pray for their parents. Do you pray for your parents? And also, do you pray for your children? Do you pray for your grandchildren? I pray for Ephraim. I've already prayed for angels to be around him. I've already prayed for the wife he's going to marry one day. You go, my gosh, he's just a little boy. But you know what? I have time to pray while I'm on this earth. And until I leave, I'm going to pray for that little boy. I'm going to pray for protection around him. I'm going to pray that all those little boys that want to do things that aren't right, that he'd stay away from them. Right? Man, if there's anything you need to put in your life that is so basic, you need to start praying for one another. Pray for your husband. Pray for your, pray for your wife. Pray for your mom that just, you know, some of you are, are older. you you got kids, and your mom's just making you nuts. When's the last time you really prayed? Oh, God, I love the lady, but she's driving me crazy. Oh, God, I love my dad, but he just, I got it. They're screaming at each other when I go in the house. I can't hear a word. It's just so frustrating. Well, why don't you pray for them? Pray for their hearing to get better. Quit talking about how they won't, uh, well, they won't get hearing aids and starts praying that they'll realize that they need to get hearing aids, that something would happen. You all with me? Start praying for these individuals. Start praying for your spouse. Ready? And then it says, and when her days had given birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her room. <clears throat> it says this, the first came out red, all his body was like a hairy cloak, and so they called his name Esau. The name Esau means hairy. But also in the Hebrew, which I like better, the Hebrew word, another Hebrew word that was used as the same, uh, the same number of times as hairy was also shaggy. So I like the word shaggy. Okay, shaggy right here. It says uh, uh, his name was Shaggy, uh, or Esau, or Harry. Afterward, his brother came out. Look what he was doing. His hand holding on to Esau's heel. So Esau came first, and Jacob was holding on to his heel. So they came, called him Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter. Now watch this. A man of the field. And while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Oh, here's a problem. Isaac loved Esau because he ate the game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Oh, wow. 
I want you to know that uh, favoritism breeds contempt. Be careful that, really, honestly, I love all my elders, and I love all my deacons, and I love you folks in our church, but I, I, I really try, as a pastor, I saw pastors play favorites. They played favorites. Let's just be honest. They played favorites with the people that had the money, that people had the influence. Listen, God's influence is bigger than any person in this room, so I'm going to look to him. And I'm not going to play favoritism. Now, I have fun with my kids. When I was, when I was growing up, i go, baby, you're my favorite. You know, your mom and dads do that. Oh, you're my favorite. Oh, I love you more, baby. I know. See, and they have fun. I even, uh, they had a picture. Somebody, somebody broke it, but anyway, uh, it, I'm not bitter. <sighs> okay. So I had a picture with uh, both the girls on each side, and you could spin it. And I really would. I'd spin it in the morning, and I'd, it just reminded me to pray for them. And so one morning I thought, oh. And we played a game for a long time that I, on Monday mornings I would get a video and go, okay, who loves dad more today? And I'd send it to both of them at work. And I'd spin it. And I'd go, oh, is it going to be Emily? Is it going to be Abigail? I mean, this is like this past year. And it'd stop and I'd go, looks like, looks like Abigail loves dad more. Thanks, Abigail. I love you. And they'd be texting me with the third thing saying, oh, you won again. What's wrong? That thing's rigged. And uh, we just, now there's fun like that. But really, I, I really tried to love my daughters, you know, evenly. So much with our own children, because one gives us a hard time, we play favorites. And what happens is, it's going to come back to bite you. Because uh, favoritism, favoritism in anything breeds contempt. Favoritism, if, if I have favorite people in here, it breeds contempt, right? And so you have to be very careful in your life at work not to have, not to have those favorites, right? Uh, even in James, it says that God doesn't show favoritism. There's no partiality with God, and we should have that same heart. So then it says this. It says, once when Jacob was cooking stew. Oh, here's this story. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And uh, it says, and Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Oh, my goodness. He looks at him. He goes, you hungry? And he goes, he says, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. He wasn't about to die. You ever had your kids come in going, I'm so hungry. I'm starving. And you go, okay, yeah, you're, you're not starving. I could show you starving. I've said that. Have you ever done that? I'm so hungry. You know, people say, I could eat a horse. And I go, okay, you can't eat a horse. You could probably eat a toy pony, but a whole horse you can't do in one sitting. All right. So, so I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Uh-oh. Man, I'm just so hungry. Jacob uh, said, swear to me now. A little deception going on, right? I wonder why he said that. I wonder if one day Rebecca said, hey, Isaac. I mean, hey, uh, 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 Jacob, come here. You know what the Lord told me when, when you were in the womb? That you're going to over I mean, I don't know. But somehow he said, well, let's start the process now. He said, uh, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright. Oh, my goodness. He gave his birthright. Lord, he gave up for it. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stool and he ate and he drank and he rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. That word despised in the Hebrew, it means he was careless. He's careless. Listen, what a message. Just some practical things to live by. Hey, look at this. Don't be careless with your life. Don't be careless with your life. You know what I mean? People are just careless with their life. They're careless. He gave his birthright away. 
He said, I am so hungry, I'm going to give it away. So many of us are careless. We're careless, we're careless with our life. You're careless as a father because you're not patient with your children. You're careless as a mom because maybe you've shown favoritism. You're careless as a child because maybe you haven't been all you need to be to your parents or to your grandparents. We're careless as church members sometimes of the body of Christ that we don't put in our time here and and hold babies or be with children. We're careless because God says, live the way I want you to do. And we don't attend a community group, not because we don't have time, because it's not a priority and we're careless. And he said, let's not be careless. Listen, some of you have so many gifts and, and you're going on stepping on toes. No, I want you to know, if you want the most out of Carpenter's Way, but more than that, if you want the most out of God, then say, God, what do you want me to do? And don't be careless with your life, with your gifts, with your abilities. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. Some of us are very careless. We're careless with our jobs. We don't like certain things about it, but don't be careless with it. Do your best. You know, we don't like our boss. Don't be careless with that. Use your life to show your boss patience, to show your boss the, 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 the fruits of the Spirit. We, 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 we're, we're careless sometimes, you know? So just be very careful, okay? So in Genesis 26, because we've got to move fast, there was a famine in the land. And like his father Abraham, uh, fear caused deception in the life of Isaac. And what happens is when you read it, there's Abimelech, and God told him to move over in this area. And he walked in, and Abimelech was the king. And he walked in, but he told, he followed what his dad did. He walked in, and he told everybody, oh, that's my sister, his wife. Because he was scared that but if I go in there, they're going to kill me, take my wife. And God's going, you're just like your daddy. You don't trust me. And so Abimelech found out and said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? If somebody would have, would have taken her and made her their own, that, that would have been sin. God would have cracked down on us. So get out. Right? But then later on, they made, he got out. But before they did, they made a, a, Isaac made a covenant with Abimelech. During that time, you need to read it. There were old wells that Isaac cracked open that were his dad's, named them the same wells. And then the herdsmen started arguing and that's why they made the covenant. Say, listen, well, we got to move out of this area. So you, you need to go, but make a covenant with me uh, because I see that God is with you. And so the thing is that struggles will be inevitable. You're going to have struggles. The struggle with the whales, that the herdsmen, the organ. The struggle with, oh, God, okay, you want me to go over there, but they're going to kill my wife, so I'll take the sister. And then they find out the lie. Guys, let me help you something. There's always going to be struggles, Right? I mean, you know, there's always going to be struggles. There's going to be struggles in your job. Some people get a job and they leave real quick because there's just a struggle. And I tell them, man, hang on. Hang on to it. You don't like your boss? Just get used to it. Stay a while. Because if you, if you leave early, what happens is you're going to have a struggle because of that. You know? Some of us, we have a little struggle in our marriage. And we leave our marriage. We quit communicating. We go somewhere else, and we find what we think is love. But all it was is a struggle here. You know, guys, life is full of struggles. Marriage is full of struggles. Jobs are full of struggles. You know what I mean? Man, as a pastor, I see struggles all the time. And I see those that go through them, and they're just, it just beats the heck out of them. And then I see others that go through them. And, and sometimes I do. I pray God, say, oh, God, would you just, I know you can do anything. Would you just, would you just let up on that person? They, they, they've had a lot. I do, I pray that. But I hear this voice sometimes, and it's the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Pat, if I didn't allow those things to happen, they would have left me a long time ago. 
because it's a struggle that keeps him hanging on to me. And I go, boy, well, then give them strength of the struggle. Y'all with me? You know people like that? So struggles are going to be inevitable. You're going to have struggles in your marriage. Don't give up. You're going to struggle with your kids. Guess what? And it's funny. Everybody walks around with their kids going, I am so sorry. And now as a granddad, and even as a dad, people go, I'm so sorry, my kid. I mean, all the kid was doing was just looking around and went, ah, for no reason at all. Why do they do that? It's like an angel comes around him and just goes, let's make a little noise, and pinches him. And they go, ah, and they're going, shh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We're going, it's okay. It's going to be a struggle. Yeah, just wait till he throws up when you pick him up and it lands in your mouth. Just wait. Life's a struggle. Oh, I love my little baby. Just wait till you change the diaper when, you know, they're on regular milk. It's a struggle. That's what it was for me. Life's a struggle. It's inevitable. Genesis 27, 1 through 35, remember the story that Jacob steals the blessing from Esau. Comes in and remember, he says, uh, because I got to go quick. He says, uh, man... Uh, uh, you know, mom gets into it and says, hey, listen, uh, his dad, your, your dad, Isaac, asked your brother to go out in the field to cook him some stew, right? It's always around the stew, right? He said, just get him something to eat. Oh, son, please, he can't see. He said, go out and grab your bow and your quiver and go out there and shoot something and cook me my favorite stew. And Rebecca heard it, and so she ran back. This is a story. You need to read it. She went back, and she said, your brother's going hunting for your dad. Jacob, I'm going to make him the best meal he's ever eaten. I'm going to make him his favorite, and you're going to give it to him. Mom, there's no way. I'm, I'm not hairy. We'll put goat skin around you. The deception. Why did she do that? I believe it's because she heard God tell him the younger will serve, or, yeah, the older will serve the younger. And she said, well, I'll just help God out a little bit. She, she deceived him. They made the stew, and he's blind. And, man, dad comes in. Isaac goes, oh, thank you so much for this stew. Who is this? Oh. And he felt the goat skin. He thought it was Esau. And he deceived him. And that's what happened. Then the brother came in and goes, here, dad, I got this stuff, and I'm going to go cook it for you. He goes, what? Somebody just fed me. Who was that? I just gave somebody a blessing. He gave the blessing. So now Esau's going, he took my, he took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. And he cried, and he said, oh, God, Daddy, please. He was begging his daddy in tears, going, you got to give me something. I need a blessing. And the dad goes, I can't. You gave away his birthright, and I gave away the blessing that was yours. And now it's his. You'll serve your brother for the rest of your life. Man, isn't that amazing? So here's what happened. Now Esau hated Jacob, all right? Remember, just practical things. Watch this. He hated Jacob because of the blessing that we, which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. He began to get bitter. Um, send me something. Bitterness only causes strife. Some of you are stuck in bitterness because something happened to you. Somebody did something to you. And I'm telling you, hang on to that bitterness. And all it's going to do is cause you strife and the other people strife. Some of you won't forgive other people. You're mad at other people. And you truly haven't forgiven them. Let me a bit look right here. This is one of those things I want you to learn. Got me? If you're bitter about something and you think, I'm not, I'm not bitter. It bothers me. I'm not bitter. I'm not mad at them. Oh, check yourself. Right? Because bitterness 
that little guy, bitterness, he can hide very, very well. He can make you say things that, like you're over that bitterness. You want to hold on to that bitterness about your wife or your ex-wife or your, your husband or your ex-husband or, or your mom or your mother-in-law or your sister-in-law? You want to hold on to that bitterness? Go right ahead. It is about to wreck your life. Bitterness will only cause strife. Man, he was bitter. And I want to tell you who lived a good life. It was Jacob. And Esau stayed in his bitterness. And there was this rivalry. Are you bitter about something? My encouragement to you is, man, it'll, it'll cause you to be strife. Just let it go. It's hurting you more than it's hurting the other, other person. You do know that, don't you? Unforgiving heart, they're probably not even thinking about you. It's like when you, when you don't like the way a waitress or a waiter or somebody else waited on you and you say something to them and then you walk off and you're thinking about it and they're probably not even thinking anything about you, but you're still riled up. And then you get in the car and you drive and you take it out on everybody else, right? <laughs> No, I'm just describing my life, guys, okay? I'm just like you. It says, Jacob left Bathsheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place. Now, watch this. We're almost done. And he hit place and stayed there there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. So he's sleeping on this rock as a pillow, and he dreamed. Oh, here it is. Uh, uh, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, Jacob's ladder, and the top of the reached heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, listen, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Watch this. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad the west and the east and the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, look what he said. I'm with you. I'm going to keep you. And wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is, there is none other than the house of God, and, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel, the house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the time. It's a great story right there that something that was used for bad, God can use for good. A place that didn't used to worship God would now become to worship God. I could preach on that alone. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this way. That word Hebrew way is another word, journey. If he'll help me on this journey, keep me on this journey that I go. And and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. If he'll just simply provide for me so that I can come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house and all that you give me. I will give a tenth to you. The last thing is, take your place in God's plan. Man, when you you begin to understand and love the Lord, when you begin to pursue the way he wants you, pursue the life that he wants you to pursue. Listen, everybody look right here. You need to understand this. If you will pursue God through his word and learn more about who he is, you will be, I guarantee you, closer to what the plan of God is. Watch this. For himself through you. 
Some of you need to take your place. It's like I said, you need to take your place in this church. You need to take your place in your family. You need to take your place that God can use you. Take your place. Some of you are at jobs and you don't like them or you're struggling with them. You take your place as God's person that is in that job. Whether you like it or not, until he moves you, you take your place and be the person that God called you to be. Some of you going off to college, you, I always tell students, take your place in that college. Don't succumb to the pressures. You take your place as a child of God. Because when you walk on that college campus, watch this, you are not a college student. You are a child of God first. When you walk into the job, when you're a teacher... You don't, you, that's something you do. That's not who you are. Who you are is a child of God, and you will teach better. You will be a better father. You'll be a better mother. You'll be a better son. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. Take your place. And that's what he did. He said, God, my place is to continue the seed that would soon to become Jesus Christ and him crucified, which gave me life, which birthed Carpenter's Way. It's right here. And that's what I want you to learn this week. So this week, man, just some practical things to live by. Man, move on. Make plans to give while you live. Make prayer a priority. Remember, don't, don't play favorites. Don't be careless with your life. Struggles are going to happen. You just got to get over them. Bitterness will cause strife for you and somebody else. And don't forget, take your place.